Welcome to Cherry Beckert's GovCom podcast, where we discuss current government contracting trends, compliance matters, and best practices to guide federal contractors forward. My name is Eric Poppy. I'm a director with Cherry Beckert's Government Contract Services Group. And with me today is Craig Hunter from our audit practice. Craig, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Eric. Hi, everyone. My name is Craig Hunter, audit partner here at Cherry Beckert, serving and servicing government contractors and technology clients many of which are small and have entered into these JV agreements. So I look forward to sharing today. Yeah, and, and Craig, you know, just like you mentioned a moment ago, today we are going to be continuing our discussion on the 8A program and uh, mentor-protege agreements, which is now the all-small mentor-protege program. And we're going to talk about, you know, some of those basic blocking and tackling questions, nuts and bolts, whatever phrase you want to use about, you know, just how do you actually hand the, handle the accounting piece when um, you are entering into one of these JV agreements and um, you're part of a mentor-protege arrangement. And you know, we get a lot of questions from our clients all the time. They're like, hey, we have a contract, we have this JV, it's an awesome um, opportunity for us to uh, go after new business. We won this award at the JV level. How do we actually do the accounting for? Like, what do we, what do we, you know, what's the, financial reporting implications, how do we do the actual cost reporting, how do we handle the indirect rates. So today we wanted to talk a little bit about those topics. Um, so just as a refresh for those who um, maybe did not listen to our previous podcast, today you know that we're talking again around JV accounting, specifically around the SBA Mentor Protege Program, which back in November of 2020, the 8A Mentor-Protege Program turned into the all-small Mentor-Protege Program. And the overarching goal of this is really to help establish and find a, um, help establish uh, new contracting opportunities for the government. So, and help to um, have a better supply base for, um, for federal procurement. And in that way, allowing large businesses to partner with small businesses to create these JV arrangements and be after go and go after a certain amount of work. Um, and the goal of the mentor protege program it's kind of in the in the title is for the large business to help um, provide some services to the protege with guidance on internal business and management systems, accounting, marketing, helping with financial assistance maybe and maybe some equity investments and owning a piece of the actual protege up to 40%, helping with business development, helping with maybe uh, human resources and G&A type of activities, but really, you know, helping to establish this protege, help prop them up, give them back office support when needed. And with that, the protege reports annually and gives progress reports to SBA. This, I did not mention that the um, mentor protege agreement has to be uh, approved by SBA. Um, there's an annual check-in, um, you know, so it is a great program, but you know, again, the con the JV arrangement between the mentor and the protege, uh, that entity is going after contracts and it's a great way to, um, win set aside contracts for the, uh, mentor. And, but, you know, again, we always get questions about, we have this contracting opportunity. We won the contract at the JV level. How do we handle this? So, you know, Craig, just to start us off, how are these JV arrangements usually set up? Right. Thanks, Eric. So, you know, starting at the beginning, 
setting up the joint venture. The joint venture is always a se separate legal entity together with its own organizational documents, operating agreement and such. And very importantly, for an entity, entity to be a joint venture, you must them must be the existence of joint control. And um, that's defined as decisions regarding the financing, development, sale, operations, business have to require the approval of two or more of the owners. And um, so no single investor can have the unilateral ability to cast a deciding vote um, and, and take control of, of the entity. So what we always recommend and, and suggest for our clients is to you build in arbitration procedures as part of the operating agreement. So if there's ever a deadlock of, of voting, there's some ability to, to go to arbitration. And, and that allows this to be a joint joint venture as defined, which is which is important because um, if it if it's not a joint venture and your shareholding is is greater than fifty percent, you're likely going to have to consolidate, which is really something that uh, you don't need to do. So it's be have to be mindful of that up front in setting these up to to make sure that you put yourself in the best position to account for them um, in the best way. So joint ventures are typically unpopulated and the SBA actually requires an unpopulated JV. Uh, and simply put, an unpopulated JV is, is an entity without its own employees. So really all the costs to fulfill its obligations to the, to the customer come from each of the two venturers. So at this point, if we think about it, we've got company A and company B that each have a, a share in the joint venture and you've got this JV that is set up. So Eric, at this point, how do the day-to-day -day accounting um, flow between those three entities? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. And, you know, I think you need to remember in, uh, that the contract is awarded to the JV. Um, and <clears throat> so the billing, the actual billing upstream to the government goes from the JV to the government. So Company A and Company B, the mentor and the protege, they will be billing the JV itself. Um, and there also might be some small administrative fees and such or allocation of indirects based off of a, um, you know, if it's a special um, a special allocation that might be going to the JV. But in the end, the JV, the partners are billing the JV. JV is then taking that cost and billing to the contract terms up to the government. Now, there are multiple considerations with this. You need to identify where the profit's going to lie. Is it going to be at the JV level? Is there going to be some also at the uh, partner level? But in the end, you are um, typically billing, billing the JV, JV then billing the government to the terms and conditions. Now, it can get a little bit hairy where you need to, in writing, and this is kind of a best practice, Craig, that we, you and I have talked about is, get in writing how you're going to be handling the invoicing between the partners to the JV um, and what type of billing method it's going to be. Is it going to be at cost? There's indirects that are applied um, and uh, is it can really vary um, on then how you bill the government because those two might not be the same. You might not be billing the government in the same manner that the partners are billing the JV. So those are all some items to consider when looking at you know, the actual um, you know, billing process to the to the JV. Now, a lot of times company A billing the JV would be billing, they just set up a separate project for that JV uh, and you would be billed, you would have in your 
accounting records for company A, direct costs associated with that project, um, your associated indirects, billing that over. And from a JV perspective, those direct costs coming in would then be billed to the government, of course, but we've seen companies treat that as you know, cost of goods sold, subcontractor costs. There, typically, though, it is a limited set of accounts there at that JV side. Uh, most companies that we look at have a separate uh, you know, QuickBooks set up for the JV accounting. It's managed by one of the partners, uh, but that's in short, partners build a JV, JV then bills the government. Craig, do you have anything to add? Yeah, while there's nothing prescribed, it, one needs to look at the the results of the various billing. So if the companies bill their cost to the JV and the JV bills to the government, the JV will start to accumulate the profits at the JV level. Um, and at this point, from a cash flow point of view, those profits in the cash until they're distributed remains in the JV. If each company were to bill the direct their direct labor plus the the allocation of indirects plus a profit portion, um, they would essentially be getting that ca cash flow on a more regular and earlier basis. So that's just be to be something to be mindful of um, as we're looking at the whole setup. Um, and and that really, you know, once we, once we bill and at the end of a, a given year or period, the JV will likely have, and it's probably a good best practice to leave some profit in the JV, just for some incidentals that of expenses that, that may be um, JV specific, as opposed to the expenses that each of the companies are bearing. And, and one thing to add to consider with all of this is the requirement that the protege uh, performs 40% of the work done by the JV. So there are requirements about how much you can subcontract, but in the end, the protege has to do 40% of the work performed by the JV. Uh, so that's just another thing to consider. Um, and uh, as you are putting together these JV arrangements, which can last up to six years in the contract length. So, it, you know, you're this is someone that you'll be working with for a, a long time. So make sure that you you you've done your done your homework and it's it's someone that has a similar you know strategy as as yourself because um, like Eric says it's a, it's a business partner and hopefully a long long relationship. The the at the end of a period once the JV has um, you know closes its book the ways in which or the way in which the, the various companies account for this is actually very simple. Um, the accounting standard is ASC 321 that governs the accounting for joint ventures um, and that was is what we call the equity method and under this equity method each of the venturers will account for their portion of the net income as a single line item on the income statement and the debit side of that would go to the asset called the investment in joint venture on the balance sheet uh, so that's the single entry that would happen at the end of every period. If the distribution was made from the JV, then it would be a debit to cash and a credit to the asset account on the on the balance sheet of, of each of the venturers. So the accounting for JVs is, is fairly straightforward um, from, from the company level, as long as it's all set up correctly to, to start with. So, you know, I think that's a good point because you have different perspectives that we're working here. Financial reporting perspective, cost accounting and accumulation and allocation of costs. So how the partners are billing the JV. And from that standpoint, there might be cost accounting implications if the part if one of the partners is cast covered 
and that would be CAS 403, the um, you know allocation of home office costs, because this JV could be considered a segment, and also the allocation of G&A costs, CAS 410, and how does that get allocated over? There are There is a little bit of wiggle room of special allocations, but you have to disclose that and show how the JV is pulling that cost. Um, so there, there are some other items to consider. You know, I think, Craig, from a then you have the billing perspective, JV to the government, and that needing to be billed at the contract terms and conditions. But you know, a lot of this can really vary on the contract types, and you know, what is that um, contract type that the JV holds? We're seeing a lot of JVs now go after. Uh, and the partners go after these large IDIQs or GWACs where you could have multiple contract types by claims or task orders that come through. So how do you handle the accounting? You know, some considerations with the accounting, you know, typically, again, you see separate books of accounts, separate charts of accounts, or simple charts of accounts. Um, the one best, we touched on this earlier, but really memorializing how the accounting and the other services are being handled and how they're being billed, I feel like is one of the biggest um, recommendations that we can have and having set policies and procedures, because um, that's where a lot of, I feel like, companies that we talk to might get in trouble down the line is not having that those items memorialized. Exactly. And, you know, best practice, just, you know, thorough documentation, getting all the legal documents in place and really putting some strong governance controls in place. So between the companies, taking a, a good monthly look at the joint venture uh, books and records and results and, and really being very transparent with 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 billing methodology and billing practices. You know, we have seen Eric's got a, a, um, a war story about, you know, Companies working on a handshake, right, mm -hmm. Eric? Yeah, so we we've helped client, or we have um, one of our clients has a JV, and they've been working with their uh, they've been, the JV has a contract and billing the government, and now it's gotten a little bit hairy between the two partners, and there was no um, you know there is no documentation to show what the partners or how the partners were supposed to be billing the JV. And, you know, in the rates have changed and now the two companies are pulling legal involved. They're getting into, um, you know, he said, she said of the indirect rates and it should have been this, but now it's that. And it's just but it all comes down to documentation, governance, good policies and really being able to support how you invoice the JV and then to the government. Um, so, you know, it's it's definitely not the best situation, but good to learn from. Um, you know, on, on that note, um, Craig, I feel like we could talk for hours about the actual accounting and, you know, even getting into tax considerations for these JVs. Um, but I think we will cap it at that. Um, I do appreciate everyone tuning in to Cherry Beckert's GovCom podcast. And please subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts to keep following. I know uh, we'll have more topics on um, the 8A program and Mentor Protege program and and small businesses in general. Uh, so please tune in, please reach out if you have any questions and Craig, thanks for joining. Thank you.